Page 55, Koan Meditation. Student asks Xiao Zhu, what is meditation? It's not, says Xiao Zhu, a meditation. It's alive. It's alive. I speak of keeping company with koans because of the way they become part of our lives throughout our lives, waking and sleeping, on the cushion and off. On the cushion refers to all forms of still meditation. Off the cushion to pretty much everything else. Our still meditation has its own distinctive customs, some ancient and some newly adapted to our way of keeping company with the koans. I think it's harmony now. Uh, you may be entering a long spell of Cohen study, working your way through the curriculum, or at least through a succession of Cohen's with a teacher. In that case, you'll likely already have experience with the concentration practice. Other times, a Cohen will come to fetch you, as when you hear a Cohen in a talk or come across it in a book and can't shake it. Then, whatever your meditation experience, a teacher cannot work out a way for you to keep company with the koan. That might be the only koan you ever engage with or the beginning of a long study. A koan is handed from teacher to student, beginning with the teacher reading the koan, clarifying any details of the story or terminology that need it and pass along any lore about the story or the characters. Then you have a conversation identifying the, cannot pronounce that word? The windows on the sources in the koan. It's an old tradition to memorize the koan and recite it at every work in the room, which which does help to lodge the words within you. You'll spend time with the koan as a whole. The windows on the source and any other phrases or images that particularly light up to you. <clears throat> yeah, I think I'm next. Oh no, Jess. Right, yeah. Uh, to meditate with a koan. Hey, Jess, is there anything you want to say about this so far? Um, you know the <laughs> the paragraph <laughs> the paragraph that Cody read, <laughs> you know, from the previous chapter. I had thoughts about that, but I didn't have thoughts oh, about. Uh, well, go on. What thoughts do you have? You want me well, to go back to it? Uh, sure. It's an interesting um, paragraph. Well, it was more like, you know, kind of what it was, you know, your commentary on it. And it's interesting because what it brought up for me was that, you know, it's this koans is this thing that can be a little unsettling and it kind of, you know, maybe they kind of stick with you in a certain way. And, you know, it's just, and the, I guess there's a natural want to, domesticate them or to feel more comfortable with them and it it reminded me of um uh the saying that uh ram das had in his i think it was that be here now book that uh he said that um uh we often worship the god of comfort and security you know sometimes above all else and uh that's what kind of this reminded reminded me of and uh, he said we worship the god of comfort and security even though like i guess he was saying that in i guess it was christianity that it said there don't worship any god before me but we all often kind of flock to the things that are comfortable makes sense we keep looking for easy answers don't we? Uh, they're very comforting. I, I like comfort personally, as you can tell. Uh, it's, yeah. 
And some people explain like, you know, Jess is a psychologist or is that what you call yourself? Jess? No. Uh, <laughs> clinical social worker. Clinical, clinical social worker. But you have this whole book of, of uh, names for problems. And then a yeah, person yeah. hears the name and then they think, oh, now they understand. Now I know what's wrong with me, right? right. Where, where they're really not closer or not too much closer, right? Right, yeah. You know, like, uh, come on, you think you understand it and you're, that's when you're farthest away in a way. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I'll uh, go ahead and read this one. Uh, to meditate with a koan Sit on a cushion or in a chair, prop yourself up in bed, lie flat on your back. The form serves your awakening. So do what works best for your situation. In this book, still meditation is shorthand for all these forms to differentiate them from walking around meditation. By tradition, we meditate for 25 minutes, walk or stretch for about five, and then return to meditation if we're going to carry on. Sometimes, though, you'll just want to keep going without taking a break. And sometimes you only have 10 minutes to meditate. Sit for an hour, sit for 10 minutes, follow your awakening. Start with what you usually do to become stable and relatively quiet. Follow your breathing, count breaths, slip into silence. Keep your eyes lowered but open with a soft focus on the ground about three feet in front of you if you're sitting. We don't close our eyes but sit in and with the world. Following the advice of our ancestor, Hei Quinn, um, Ha Quinn. Sorry, that's better, Trouty, isn't it? Ha Quinn? Yes, yes. So, who recommended... Because I know. <laughs> you know. Who recommended that the lower half of the body be warm and the upper half cool. Sit with a shawl or blanket across your lap and covering your legs. Your hands are held comfortably with three finger widths below the navel. At the place thought to be the root of both your breath and awakening. When you're ready, say the koan or the window on the source a few times to yourself. In the practice we inherited from Japan, we learned to repeat the koan or window on the source in sync with our breath, usually on the exhalation. Some Chinese schools recommend against that on the grounds that it can distort your breathing. Instead, you repeat the koan without reference to the breath, which carries on normally in the background. Try it both ways and see which is more helpful for you. Could you go back to the last page? Okay. This is really interesting because I'm, often people say you should sit with it. And I've never heard a description of what that means. Yeah, me neither. And even the idea of, of uh, doing it in sync with your breath is interesting. Yeah, Usually on the exhale. Yeah. yeah. I guess you could do that or you could just repeat and sit with it, you know, just let it roll around you mean not not having it in the like uh, front of your thoughts well it's like it mean? sounds like well in this one it's like you do have it on the front of your thoughts but you don't you don't ground yourself with your breath you just kind of more put it on the forefront so i always thought like sit with it meant you know like like not have it on the forefront Yeah, that that's I I did not hear that or read uh, either to have it on the forefront because then you are focusing on it in a 
more intense way. And the examples that we often get are that we are suddenly hit with it. So it probably would not be hit so hard um, if a teacher or even something else uh, comes up. If, uh, if we had it um, sort of um, really in front of us or focusing on it. But in that respect, it's interesting that she says uh, on the outbreath, because it's not like uh, bringing it in and holding on to it. It's like letting it go, letting it go, letting it go. Well, I saw it a little bit differently. Yeah, how did um, you see? Well, I learned in Qigong some other breathing practices, and the out-breath was always almost twice as long as the in-breath. Mm -hmm. And there was something to it, the, the duration and the with the focus, but you, I, focus is not the right word, that you have to stay with it. Mm. So that, that, that it was a little bit longer, um, it felt that it was more, I don't know what, what to say, more important. No, that's not the word. More present. Uh-huh. Because the in-breath, um, it takes some maybe conscious effort, whereas the out-breath, um, well, maybe too, especially if it's, if it's longer, but you don't need to start out with a much longer, um, just, you know, you work it up to something. Uh, twice as long or something like that than, than the in-breath. Yeah, we were with my sister when she was having her, la her last breaths and um, there was no question whether about the out-breaths, but the, you know, when would the next in-breath come and would it? So, so it's, it's the out-breath is involuntary and I like that, Trouty, what you're saying about the koan, um, in a sense, the engagement is involuntary or not conscious in that way. Mm -hmm. I like also, Nadia, what you were saying about it being le about letting go. Okay, who's reading now? Uh, I think it's Trouty. Yeah. All right. So it is. If you are already engaged in with the con. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. If you are already engaged with the con, once you have repeated it a few times, you can let the words fall away, sinking into the wordless field that is also part of the con. If the con is still a closed box to you, keep repeating it and see if anything opens up. What is the sound of one hand? Well, it's the clapping is not there. <laughs> you know, that, that was added later. That's not in the real con. Oh, is it so? Yeah, okay. we, re we read that earlier. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I read that sentence uh, long before I, I came to Appamata, but um, I'm glad to learn it, that it wasn't originally there, okay. So again, uh, since I actually broke it off, <laughs> what is the sound of one hand, I wonder? Can it can be a helpful way to ask, since it tends to soften any tension you might be carrying into the conversation. In any case, there is no absolute preference for stillness over mental activity. Koan meditation works as the dynamic quality of the heart-mind and is interested in how your particular heart-mind engages with the koan. 
So notice what happens, what thoughts, feelings, images, memories, and physical sensations arise. That is <laughs> right in the face. <laughs> Particularly if something surprises you, feel as though it comes from the outside, your usual, okay, corral, inquire into it. What is this? Try not to land anywhere prematurely. Keep asking, what is this? Every time something new arises. And chances are you'll find something behind or underneath it. And then underneath that. Keep going as long as the inquiry is alive and uncertain or heading towards something that's falling open. You're not really trying to find an answer to the question, what is this, as much as what is this, is encouraging an attitude of warmth and curiosity toward what happens. This attitude suits life in general with endless rising and falling, the endless change that is the nature of things. That question would confuse a, a lot of people, wouldn't it? I mean, that, that sentence, the question, what is this as much as what is this? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to explain to my 10-year-old grandson. He keeps saying the lemon is sour. And I keep telling him the lemon is just, just what it is. And we, we add the sour to it. Oh, boy. Boy. <laughs> I, <laughs> we're going to have fun on Thanksgiving, I think. Does he look at you like, what? Well, oh, no, he said, I don't understand. Uh. I'll keep working. Maybe it will take 20 years or something. Okay. But isn't that nice? What is it as much as what is this? What is this as much as what is this? Yeah, that is nice. If your meditation takes a turn that seems problematic, for example, if you find yourself foggy and sleepy approach, this not if approach this not as a problem you have to fix as an attempt to tell you something, let it work on you rather than you working on it. Feel your way back to when you begin to experience the grogginess and see if you're avoiding something by literally going to sleep to it. If you can't find anything and the sleepiness persists, Try to get more rest, and if it doesn't work, then wholeheartedly do sleepy meditation. <laughs> there are many rooms in the mansion of meditation. Sometimes important things can only happen in rooms of dreaminess or exhaustion. Doors might open that we would otherwise miss or dismiss. Someone once described coming into the hall at the beginning of a retreat with a whole pack of barking chihuahuas nipping at, their, at her ankles. As the day, days wore on, the little dogs began to curl quietly on the cushion around, around her. Um, when you're tired, the chihuahuas are tired too, and something interesting might happen. Above all else, don't try to impose your ideas of good meditation, which are opinions after all, and be interested in what's actually happening. This is your living, breathing meditation. It'll become apparent if there's something you need to do, some course correction you need to make, but let that rise from the living, breathing meditation itself. I really like this. And couldn't it apply to anything, anything you're thinking about? Not just koans. Is that why you like it, Trotty? Yeah. I you cannot do it always. Sorry. Somebody oh, sorry, Trouty. Well, you could not do it. I mean, in everyday life, all the time. Maybe only occasionally. Nandia, did you want to say something? It. I love this paragraph. It, it just is. Um, 
just such a reminder that everything belongs. It's just the way it is. It's just so, yeah. Yeah. And we mess it up by how we think about it, don't we? <laughs> well, it's like it's like everything has worth. It's not something to fix or to change to better. It's just oh, this is happening. What what does this tell me about me, you know, or about what you know, whatever it is. Okay, I'm going to read. Uh, if you have a reaction to a koan like anxiety, frustration, boredom, or bafflement, that's your first response to the koan. You're already in a relationship with it. Take that seriously. Don't throw it away. A koan has all the time in the world. And pretty soon you discover that you do too. Oh, that's interesting. I hate this. <laughs> then why? If the koan invites our imaginative participation, one form of imaginative, imaginative participation is, I don't get this at all. That's a real response equal to any other. Just stay with it without commentary and remain open to its provisionality, to the possibility that it may change. And I think the next thing that people do when they is, I don't get this at all. And then they um, either blame the koan or blame themselves and start feeling bad. You know, this whole other sequence of things starts happening rather than just i think what she's saying is just just be okay with that stay with that mm. not getting it see if you can step back into the moment just as the reactive thought or feeling arose are you bouncing off something that once you're aware of it you might be able to settle into or at least approach are you familiar with this reaction from other parts of your life could the koan be offering you a chance to work with that habit? Once you've made some contact with the koan, see if you can step back into the moment before the reaction arose. <coughs> What's your relationship with the koan there? You can return to your stability practice at any time during your koan meditation, remaining with that practice or beginning again with the koan from there. Koan meditation encompasses more than focus on the koan and often your meditation will naturally go quiet. You might notice two movements of your awareness then, one down and in toward the great engine of concentration called samadhi, like a long inhalation and the other a diffuse awareness outward, which my colleague Sarah Bender calls spreading the skirts of your meditation like a long exhalation. These quiet states of awareness are another way of keeping company with the koan. In the depths of silence, you're still working on the koan and the koan on you. For obvious reasons, a how-to section like this tends to focus on challenges that arise in meditation, Excuse me. especially in the early going. I can't remember a time when someone said, my meditation is deep and wondrous, help. <laughs> so we, we should probably say, that there is a whole lot of deep and wondrous too, once you have worked out the Chihuahua, <laughs> the tent, the tent actually. All the early work is a way of relaxing into the radiance that arises 
from every ground, pours through every wall, flows every across every sky. And to make a container or raise a sail to catch some of that radiance for a while and let it fill you until the time comes when you understand that the same radiance is rising in and filling you all the time. No catching necessary. Wow. This is a much bigger challenge, what she's doing, than mm -hmm. talking about the koan itself, isn't it? Mm. <clears throat> yes. Seven, invitation. Page 61. One day a poet was visiting his Chan teacher who quoted Confucius. Do you think I'm keeping a secret from you all? I'm keeping nothing secret from you. It's just the same with the great matter of Chan. Do you understand? I don't. Later as it grew dark, they were walking in the mountains and the air was thick with the fragrance of sweet olive blossoms. The teacher asked, do you smell that? I do. I'm keeping no secrets from you. It's common at the beginning to try to figure out a koan, to hold it in front of you as though there's some secret rattling around the side. And if you just shake the right weight, it fall out. It'll fall out. A koan might be pulse quickening or maybe just puzzling and opaque. Like the time I gave a young friend an old fashioned record album and she turned it over and over this way and that. And finally I asked, how do you open this? One way to open the koan is to begin as you might with art. Most people don't spend time looking at a painting in order to solve it or play a piece of music to get to the end of it. To open a koan, gaze at it a while, let it gaze back. See if it opens something inside you. Look for the invitation to freedom. Koans won't explicitly say that freedom means doing this or not doing that, but they will offer you the chance to feel freedom for yourself. Choose a koan from this book that speaks to you whether you understand it or not. What question is it raising in you? What might a freeing response be? I, I love that she says, what question is it raising for you in you rather than what does it answer for you? What hole does it fill? Mm. I think uh, this is sort of, I mean, the, the question, as John Sutherland uh, put it, um, I, I can see in the background that it's the momentariness. Can you say more about that? You've spoken about that before. Well, it's the curiosity that you keep present, right? So you can have a whole host of questions arising in ourselves. But if, if we sort of try to answer one question or two, we sort of nail ourselves down. Did we talk about it in this way? The curiosity seems so pivotal in much of what she's writing about here. Mm -hmm. Yes. It seems in the work you do, Trouty, that you're asking a lot of questions in your research, right? 
Well, yeah, I actually have to, or I think I have to come up with um, what they call an argument. I mean, it's not an argument that I'm arguing with somebody, but it's it's something to frame uh, whatever the subject is in such a way that it arises curiosity, but also um, that it probably gives some kind of a way of opening if you really look at it. And you dispel a lot of commonly held beliefs, in your, don't you? Not that I do not know. It probably depends on the subject. Yeah. Okay, who's reading? Oh, I think I'm next. Okay. Uh, let's see. Broadly speaking, koan invitations come in the form of mysteries and dilemmas. Mysteries catch our soul with beauty or strangeness or a feeling of somewhat something intriguing, but just out of reach. Mystery koans can be different for different souls. But they might be ones like the stone woman calls them back from their dream of the world. Or each branch of coral holds up the light of the moon. Or beneath a tree with no shadow, a ferry boat where people gather. If any of those made you pause a moment to wonder, the wondering is the invitation. Who do you become in the light of the koan? How is the day different because of its presence? What don't you understand and how might that not understanding, if held lightly, Open into something very old and very spacious. <coughs> Usually there's some housekeeping that needs attending too, as we're beckoned into mystery. We all have some habits and reactions that constrict us, <coughs> which is what the dilemma cons are for. They present seemingly insolvable problems <coughs> and ask you to solve them anyway. Often they create a tension that can only be resolved by not picking a side when faced with an apparent duality. You find a third thing the perspective that includes <coughs> and predates the two options presented. Now I'm going to get a glass of water, I'll, but I can hear you, so keep reading. Well, we're going to come to the end of the page. There's a well-worn story about a teacher asking two students to roll up the blinds on a pair of windows. They apparently do so in exactly the same way but the teacher comments, one gains, one loses. Do you assume that the koan is asking you to discern where one succeeded and the other failed? This is what's known as taking the bait. But the intention isn't to teach you how to more finely calibrate your mind's measuring scale. The idea is to take away the scale altogether not to improve the quality of your opinions, but to drop your tendency toward opinions. You're being invited to notice whether you think you have to know something, even when you can't know it. And then to drop that idea too. And then to see how things look from there. It's a vast sky on the other side of those windows. <laughs> Dilemma koans show you where show you 
where the walls and locked doors of your present room are. Then they offer not nicer wallpaper, but a lockpick. Mystery cons remind you of what is just beyond those walls, of what it is like to breathe freely and see all the way to the horizon. These koans allow you to experience your heart-mind's constrictions and self-imposed limitations, and also what it's like without them. It usually takes some time and attention to put down the habits of a lifetime, but many people find that their allegiance begins to shift naturally from constriction to openness, simply by experiencing the difference between them time and again through the koans. <laughs> then the changes in our psyches that go along with the new allegiance start to appear, sometimes unexpectedly. A woman and her relative were in the middle of their customary fight when she suddenly burst into laughter because she just couldn't sustain her part anymore. A man described opening his mouth to yell at his adolescent son when much to his surprise, soft words came out instead. These are the ongoing everyday ways that the cons open you. This is so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> Page sixty five. Koan, original face. When Nine asks quickly, quickly, without thinking, right and wrong, before your parents were born, what is your original face? I asked, wait, I want to, I asked this question of my, uh, it was a relative of my wife's, a little girl. And she said, I said, who were you before you were born? And she said, oh, uh, my aunt Matelta, I'm just like her. She had this whole answer. It was <laughs> quite funny. I, I thought I would puzzle her, you know. Ask your uh, 10 year old grandma. Yeah, I was just thinking that. <laughs> okay. You think I should start with that instead of the lemon? Yeah, start with this, and then I want to confuse the the, the kid, but I'm not doing very well. What's you know, that? If, if you go, I want to confuse him, but if you go right to I don't understand, that's like I don't know. You know, I mean, but in, not the good I don't know, but just the I'm you know I'm confused. At least he's saying I'm confused. That's pretty good. I mean, I feel I think like as kids we're very we have concrete thinking before we can have abstract thinking you know i, I think i don't know but uh his face might be something more um more relatable than a lemon hmm. mm. i guess it's a different question who were you before you were born and what was your original face because you know that could be just what did you look like I don't know. I always right. thought of it as what were you before you were born, but or who were you? Or... Right. Okay. Who's oh, reading? Go on. This means, oh, oh, what a dramatic legend this koan comes from. Dajan Huenayin was an impoverished gatherer of firewood supporting his widowed mother. One day, while making a delivery, he overheard a customer. Reciting the Diamond Sutra and something opened in him. He was inspired to go off to a monastery. No word on what happened to his mother. <laughs> he wasn't he wasn't taken seriously there and was and was put to work pounding rice behind the kitchen. One day the abbot Demon Hungry held a contest to determine his successor. Two candidates, the presumed heir and Wenang, submitted entries. 
and the Abbott judge will name the winner. Worried that this would prove dangerously for his unlikely successor, Hongren and Hunang, the symbols of transmission, his own robe and bowl, and in the middle of the night, rode him away from the monastery, advising him to lie low for a while. But Ming, the head monk, got wind of this and went streaming along until he found Hunang, whom he believed had stolen the robe and bowl. Ming is a hypothesis of the reoccurring character in the koans, the head monk. Officious sure of themselves for no discernible reason, they are foils for the person who will actually get the point in the story. They're amusing and also a little endearing, like something we recognize in ourselves with a smile. Hunang offered the robe and bowl to Ming to take back to the monastery, but Ming couldn't lift them. And with the sweat pouring off him, something opened in him too. He proclaimed Hunang his teacher and asked him for his wisdom. I haven't heard that part of the story. That's beautiful. Have you heard that, Trouty? I don't recall. I don't the, know. That he gave him the... I, no, I just thought he was sent away because he was also illiterate, wasn't he, at the beginning? Yes, he was illiterate. But... And, and he came back 20 years later, you know, wiser. I, I think it is uh, also repeated elsewhere with some other um, names. Was that the... the was, him and the other student was that, and they submitted entries. Was that the uh, the mirror, like uh, the question about the mirror, and they both submitted? The I, I don't know. I know what you're talking about. Polishing the mirror. Yeah, I don't know. The mirror is already. I, yeah. yeah, I don't know if that's we we name. I don't know either. Okay, uh, is it my turn? Okay, I guess so. Uh, Huineng's awakening, which began when he first heard a bit of the Diamond Sutra in the town, came to fruition when his teacher, Hongren, explained the sutra to him. The turning words for Huineng were abiding nowhere, let the heart mind appear. Abiding nowhere, let the heart mind appear. And the time before koan, this passage worked like a koan on Huineng, and it would later be included in our curriculum. It is the same koan as the original face, just from a slightly different perspective. Original face shows you how to abide nowhere with this instructions that are both succinct and comprehensive. <laughs> quickly, quickly, without thinking right and wrong. Before the engines of thought, feeling, <coughs> start revving. Before you're making judgments or starting to act out of some motivation, like trying to win or to please. Before your parents were born before the whole mad story of you heaves into the picture, complete <coughs> with the family legacies handed down through the generations. What is your original face? Before that, all that, who are you? What is your face like? A poem attributed to Dong Shan contains the image of an old woman rising from sheep, rising from sleep, who looks into a mirror and sees in the light of dawn a face no other than her own. I like better that she's rising from sheep. <laughs> <laughs> you can step back from your first meeting with a koan or from any moment in your life into this moment before. We often think of gates as appearing before us 
inviting us to enter. But this koan gate appears behind you, inviting you to step back into abiding nowhere. That is, to return to the vastness where you're a true person of no rank or position, your face aglow with the original rising sun. What is it like to respond from that place? What is it like to step back through the gate into the koan, into the moment, and let your abiding nowhere, heart mind, appear? To gaze with your original face on the original faces all around you. Method. It's nine. How long do we go for? Or do we go to nine thirty or eight thirty? Yeah, but let's ah. just let's do one more section. How about okay. that? Yeah. Number eight, chapter. I imagine method. Jia Shan asked a pilgrim, "Where have you come from?" "From Dongshan's," replied the pilgrim. What is Dongsheng teaching his students? The dark way, the birth path, and the open hand. Oh, is, is that a paragraph, the next one, or does it go? Oh, it probably goes on, right? Yeah, well, sure. Okay. Koans began as improvisations, conversations that could start with anything and go anywhere. Our methods of practice reflect that original sense of improvisation, as well as the deep listening at the root of those conversations. Method uh, in what people have done for a long time because it tends to work. Method is also what people invent on the spot to address a new question. Valuing improvisation that arises from deep listening. We focus on the attitude we bring to koan practice rather than on a set of rules. And that attitude begins in trust. Koan practice trusts you. It trusts your inherent wisdom and your mistakes and your ability. However, gratuitous uh, the route to find your way. The relationship works best when you return the favor by putting your trust in it without the hedging of strategies. You could try letting good method take the place of strategies on the grounds that it may, it might know a thing or two. You don't yet. Coin practice can be challenging, but if experience leads you to develop a fundamental trust in the process, even what challenge, what challenges you becomes compelling. Many people who take up Cohen practice are looking for the unprecedented. After all, if they knew how to get there, they already would have. But you can't figure out the finesse your way into an opening. So don't try to be good at it. There are so many more interesting things that might happen often at the very moments when you feel like you're failing the worst. It's better to have nothing than to think you have something good. As human Wayne remarked, at the same time, no matter your misgivings or uncertainty, you can do this. You can do this because you're already within you. Try instead of knowing too much or too little to blend the best of both positions. The energy and commitment of the former and the humility and the not knowing of the latter. Then lean on the method as a wise companion. It can show you things you can't see yourself until you can. The koan practice strips us of our habits of thought and feeling deconstructs and then reconstructs our sense of self and reorients our relationship to the world. This is daunting, so fortunately, the koans also show us the exhilaration and tenderness of life 
on the other side of all that work. Still, your defenses will probably rise, so it's helpful to have another viewpoint on what you ought to be doing when you're talking yourself out of doing anything at all. That's the job of method. And also, it's also helpful to have a strong relationship with method for the times when you don't know what to do. If your koan meditation goes to unsettling places, if you hit a dry patch where nothing seems to be happening, if you've gone very deep and want to go further with a bit of a container to hold body and soul together while you do. Hmm. After a while, you see that method is actually a collaboration. A good teacher will explore your distinctive experience of koan practice in order to discern what methods might be most useful. A good student will take the method on, notice what happens and report back. You and your teacher in the method will be finding your way together. And really, the very existence of methods is hopeful because it means that just about everything <coughs> has happened before and it's been resolved before too. Koan methods evolve. When the koans migrated from China to Japan, for example, the Chinese teachers who came with them quickly realized that their new students had little fluency in Chinese language and literature which made teaching from their koan collections difficult. So they developed in the moment Zen, in which, <clears throat> in which a teacher would use something that was happening right then and there in a purely Japanese moment as a koan. An example is when Majaku's teacher asks her, where is the deer? And then who is listening in the one who asks? Uh, this adaptation worked brilliantly, and a tradition that had been born in spontaneous conversations was, hundreds of years later and in another country, revitalized in them. Are we continuing? Yeah, I just wanted to see. So... Was that the page? That I guess that whole, that whole section maybe breaks, yeah. looks at that con maybe, yeah? Maybe we should uh, do some spontaneous cons here, Kim. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me dizzy. Close your eyes. <laughs> Oh, we'll close the eyes and then read the paragraph. Okay. That's another method. <laughs> yes. Okay, who's reading? I I think we read this page, no? Or yeah. Did we did we get the next paragraph? It starts getting, getting, getting the, method. the method. Yeah. Getting the method right isn't the goal of practice. Method is a means and a support, a way of laying down the paving stones you walk on. Having a good method means that the practice can be done with more ease. It helps to make clear what can be made clear so that the mystery that is at the center of life becomes vividly apparent against the simplified field. Whenever we are offered a method, we should consider whether it seems likely to lead us away from or closer to that mystery. Method is meant to serve awakening. So koan meditation aims to its own obsolescence and its transformation into something as ordinary as breathing. One method we use, uh, once a month on Wednesday nights, we do koan practice. And one method we use is we act out the koan. And uh, each person takes every different character in the koan. Do 
9. Chapter 9. Off the cushion. Page 72. Right now, whether you're walking, standing, sitting, or lying down, responding to circumstances and meeting people as they come, everything is the way. Ancestor Ma. When it's time to rise up off the cushion, take the coin with you. Carry it around in your pocket. Take it for a run. Run to the bath. Where's that fire on the other from the street corner? If in the beginning you find yourself trying to reason your way through a koan, do it walking around instead of on the cushion. Bring your still meditation for what happens best there. Exhaust thinking about the koan, about the koan which is quite natural, especially in the beginning. And see if you can start thinking and running and sleeping with it. Eventually, with a little luck, you'll be thinking and running and sleeping as it. Here's the sound of one hand under the water falling from the shower head. I don't understand that. One one hand under the water falling from the shower head. That's a con. <laughs> we can't oh. analyze it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Boy, they are very diverse. Okay. Thank you. Um, this is as important a part of keeping company with the koan is still meditation. If you put a little spirit into it, the Japanese teacher said, you'll do fine and not succumb to life, peace and tranquility. <laughs> the idea is that we live in a complicated, noisy movement filled, emotion filled, thought filled world, a giant field of things consistently raising, rising and falling. We're hoping to be increasingly at ease with the world as it is, which means looking for the through line underneath sound and silence, motion and stillness. Keeping company with the Colin sitting and standing, walking around and lying down is a way to stay connected with the through line and over time, we no longer need the special circumstances of quiet and stillness to touch it. As you bring the koan fully into your life, bring your life fully to the koan. A woman who knew she was gradually going to go blind asked for a koan to keep her company as it happened. She was asking the koan to help carry her burden, and she was also willing to let the koan change how she experienced the burden. Your response to a koan isn't just a phrase or a gesture you express during work in the room. It's everything that happens while you live with the koan. Notice what's arising or changing or being revealed in your life, but suddenly demanding attention or becoming crystal clear or irrevocably falling away even if it seems unrelated to the koan. The connection just might not be obvious at first. To paraphrase, to paraphrase the poet Anna Akhmatova, a wave rises in our lives to meet the oncoming wave of the koan. For more than a thousand years, koans have inspired art from literature to paintings to gardens. In our time, <coughs> artists have collaborated with koans on poems and sculptures, quilts and dance performances. Each koan is a little tiny bit 
of the deep story of the world emerging from that story like a luminous tab. Pull it and see what comes with it. See what is pulled from you in response. It can help to keep a journal lightly as a kind of memory book of your time with each koan and of the arc of a life accompanied by koans. When I was training during retreats, I used to scribble away for a few moments at a time while perched on a stepladder in the kitchen pantry under the bemused eye of the cook. When you look back, you can see patterns emerge from the invisible patterns, uh, from the invisible patterns you were unaware of at the time. The eternal koan letter pressed in the center of the page and the notes of a particular soul in a particular handwriting circumambulating it. Is this a good stopping point? Yeah, I think so. I'm really loving this book. Just, I just, um, yeah, I was not expecting it to be like this. I wasn't either. I'm very, uh, so I'm just, uh, what a happy surprise. I mean, it, I wasn't expecting it to be, I don't know what I was expecting, but not this. <laughs> She's really talking about how to look at life, isn't she? Yes, it's, it's really, a, um, and I was thinking that as we were reading when she was talking about sort of how to hold a koan, I was thinking, and everything else, you know? Um, and I could imagine, you know, for some people, God would be a substitute for the word koan. She was asking God to help carry her burden, and she was also willing to let God change how she experienced the burden. You know, so mm. any kind of, I mean, many different things. So I'm going yeah. to be good here and put a bookmark uh -huh. and do this, because I forgot to do that, I guess, last time. Did you have homework before? You'd be like, why is this highlighted? Because that's where we're starting. No, next I week. know. But next week, you're going to be like, why is this highlighted? <laughs> okay, so then I'm going to write it in my date book. And Kim, what's your homework before our next session? I don't know. What, what is it? It's your uh, grandson is the hint. Oh, right. Um. <laughs> what was his face? What is his face? Before, he... before his mother was born. Yeah. Coins in your pocket. Well, he did a. I'll show you his. I'll show you his drawing. He, just a second. That started all this. I think I'll show you. Okay, first I'm going to stop share. Oh, I was going to ask something though. That's all right. So that's his drawing. Oh, it, it went out of focus. The, the glasses as big as the umbrella. It's like a little umbrella glass, a little umbrella. Frame. I know, there's a big umbrella and then the umbrella on the glass. Oh, and there's a little name. one. <laughs> So I wrote him, here's a question for Nate. Before we make lemonade, are we sure that we have lemons? My, for example, my hands were cold today. I didn't want that. Was that the problem, not wanting my hands to be cold? Could I have looked at my cold hands as just that, cold hands, and just simply said to myself, oh, my hands are cold without judgment? In other words, maybe we are the ones calling what we are given lemons. Maybe they are simply cold hands. And Nate replies, I don't get it. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's an important point, an important place to be is I don't get it. I think that's something yeah. of what she's saying. Yeah. You know, yeah, just true. getting confused. Yeah. Like, is, it, is a lemon sour? He's 10. Yeah. Yeah. 
But getting confused gets you to point zero, so to speak. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Some of you know the story where the teacher fills the teacup. Yes. And it keeps coming over, pouring over and pouring over. And, and, and then the teacher says, um, you can't learn until you empty the, the bowl. You know, you don't never know either, because it might be like three months from now, and it's he's been it's been sitting in his head, and he might just come up to you and say say something. You know, you might have some. Oh yeah, so um, Trouty wanted to to see something on the what we were reading. Yeah, I wanted to see maybe just uh, briefly one or two of the cons that uh, we may carry in our pocket. I, I know I'm I'm asking for something that we'll do next time, but I'm I'm curious. You, uh, you mean, oh, future ones or the ones that we've already read? No, the future ones. But, okay, uh, sure, sure. The I'll chapter do that is uh, coins in your pocket. Yes. Let's see. Well, maybe even at the beginning. Well, no. but no, no. It's probably not knowing is most intimate. What is it? Oh, this is comes it? from the koan. Here's the koan. Okay. Dezan asks Fagan, where are you going from here? Fan says, I'm going on a pil I'm on a pilgrimage. What mm -hmm. sort of thing is pilgrimage? I don't know. Not knowing is most intimate. Fayon suddenly had a great awakening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, we use that. Uh, yeah, it, it was actually uh, Wednesday evening, uh, but that was a long time ago. Um, but anyway, no, that that. Uh, What's so interesting is the ones that are kind of easy. So you think, oh, that's the teaching that not knowing is most intimate. You know, you get hung up in, in the easy ones that, that are superficially <laughs> easy. Yeah, that's right. They're, they're harder in a sense than the ones that are just so confusing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Unless you are completely open. <laughs> then you get fully confused and then it hits you. Well, anyway. Yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Thank you, everyone. Thank Bye. You. Okay. Bye. It was great. Thank you, everybody. Bye-bye.